everyone, Sarah Brown Wessling here from the Council of Chief State School Officers National Teacher of the Year program. And I am so excited to announce the third season of Voices from the Classroom, the State Teacher of the Year podcast. CCSSO's National Teacher of the Year program provides a platform for exceptional educators to elevate issues that affect teachers and their students, to expand their leadership roles, and to inform policy and practice. In this season of the podcast, 2022 State Teachers of the Year will teach us about the lessons their students keep talking about. Maybe it's the one that they come back to years later and tell the teachers about, or maybe it's the one their most recent students have asked for over and over again. This season, we are honored to have two past State Teachers of the Year conducting the interviews themselves. You'll hear Stacy McAdoo, 2019 Arkansas State Teacher of the Year, John Arthur, 2021 State Teacher of the Year, and me in conversation with our teachers throughout this season. I invite you to listen to these incredible stories. Hello, everyone. This is Sarah Brown Wessling, and I am thrilled to be here with Willie Edward Taylor Carver Jr., the 2022 Kentucky State Teacher of the Year. Willie, thank you so much for joining us in this conversation today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's absolutely a pleasure and an honor. Well, we are so excited to get a peek into your classroom and to like, you know, get a sense of, of that excitement and, and that experience that your students have. Um, so before we do that, though, can you just, you know, tell, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, the 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, I have an office full of toys right now um, because I couldn't get rid of them when I uh, left my classroom for another job. I (laughs) have multiple degrees and lots of things, uh, French and English being uh, what kind of ties those all together. Uh, I'm Appalachian, gay, and talk about both of those things all the time. Um, And I'm so excited to get to talk about the joy of my classroom because I feel like my my platform has dealt with some heavy things this year, heavy things that we need to talk about to sort of, I don't know, get some of the dirt off of them so that they're light enough to get rid of someday. Um, so getting to talk about the joy is something I'm excited about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So remind us, um, you said uh, French and English classroom, but remind us um, what school that you've taught, what school you taught in, and then um, like what grade, and then how much English do you teach? How much French do you teach? Um, so I will, I will try to even tell this story. I could never decide which I wanted to do. So yeah. I, I was a history major at first. Really? Yes, but I kept thinking, gosh, all these history classes are getting in the way of English and French. Um, and I said it to my academic advisor, like, oh, there's so many history classes. Is there any way I could get some of these English classes to count? And he was like, well, why don't you want English to be your major? And I was like, hmm, hadn't thought of it. I just picked one. Um, yeah. And then I was always taking, I, I always just took whatever classes I wanted and begged the advisors to let me take them. And at a certain point, I was like, I'm only like two degrees, two classes away from a French degree. Um, so taught in France. That was my first experience. Uh, and I taught English there. Um, then thought I would be a professor of French. So I taught at the University of Georgia. But I really want to get get my hands dirty. And you can't do that <laughs> as a college professor. So I was like, give me your rough kids. Give me your mean girls. Give me your 
kid who has no idea what school is even about yet. Yeah. Uh, because those are the moments where you can transform. Uh, I, re- I remember just sitting in my graduate class, looking around and thinking, no offense to the teacher or anyone else in the room, like my sister is smarter than anyone in this room, yeah. including me. And she made <laughs> a high school diploma. So why didn't she make it to this room? Right. That's what I wanted to do. So I, I teach at Montgomery, taught at Montgomery County High School for the last 10 years or so. Um, French and English. French was freshman through college level. I begged the colleges to let me teach um, the most advanced courses I could teach. So I was getting, I had kids who were almost getting a French minor and I would have classes with like three people in them. And they were like, this oh is my a goodness. class. I'm like, I don't care. I'll do it. Please let me do it. Please let me do it. Yeah. So I'll teach it before school. I'll teach it after school. There was no pay involved. <laughs> but uh, so That's I'll, all passion right there. Yes, it is. And uh, English, I've basically taught composition for the last few years. And I, uh, I don't know. I, I, my personal love is literacy, well, literature and linguistics, but not composition. Uh-huh. But I've actually kind of learned to love that as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it kind of all goes together in the end. And composition is it's, it's the, the vehicle for the other things, right? So I never really Absolutely. thought of that. Like, you could teach composition. You could teach anything. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. All right. So we're going to dive into this classroom. Um, so what what we're curious is to know about the lesson that your students would just keep talking about. Can you describe for us what that lesson has been, what you did, what the students did? You know, um, the one of the I, I think I wrote this in some application for maybe Kentucky Teacher of the Year or something. But one of the things that I think is really true about teaching is if you're doing it really well, you disappear. You're not there. You are yes. an observer. I mean, when you're doing it really, really well, you're an observer because they're doing it themselves. You're a facilitator right. when they need some prodding and some pushing. But if you really lay everything out in the way it's supposed to be laid out, um, and it's, it's hope and it's faith, you get to be an observer. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the... Lesson, mine will talk about our foreign language festival. Uh, uh-huh. I think that's what we originally called it. And then terminology changes the world language festival. Yeah. Uh, but effectively, I give the students this task to look into any French or Francophone culture, cultural item or practice or product that exists. For those people who uh-huh. love to give kids lists of like, choose from this, like this will drive yeah. them but <laughs> practice or process or product that exists. And so you're supposed to make, first learn, then make slash do, then share. So I talk this thing up like it is the biggest event in the history of all time. And this is where faith comes along, right? Because I remember uh-huh. those teachers who would say things like, why would we let you do Y when you won't even do X? And I remember so many times when I felt held down and I wouldn't do X because they wouldn't let me do Y. Um, I I thought, I think a lot about my parents even saying, well, we're never going to have nice things because y'all won't take care of the (laughs) the not nice things. (laughs) I'm going to believe that if I give them nice things, they will do something tremendous. So um, it's think of it like a super interactive science fair. Um, but kids have to create something that a person could walk by and experience. Uh-huh. They could 
they could choose to be there if they wanted or not, like the side of their project, but they all also get to experience it as well. We invite community members. So I give them some time in class, but honestly, it's mostly outside of class. So they can do anything in the world that they want. Um, and so the instructions don't sound that tremendous until you see what the kids do. Because yeah. if you're telling them, like, yeah, this is the biggest thing. Like, this is big. You realize there are going to be so many people watching. Um, and the only rule I have was if I felt like you didn't really put forth everything, I can tell you you're not allowed to display it. Only, yep. once, only once in five years that I have that. Really? Yes. Um, That's great. So these kids, I have, I'm just going to think of some of the, I won't even say standout, just the first that come. I had a girl recreate a 17th century gown. Um, oh, she my was, goodness. She was intrigued by this woman in French aristocracy who sort of found her way through many men uh, during the turbulent time uh -huh. of the revolution, but who, because of her wit and charm, was able to survive. So she identified with her and said, like, my life is the redneck version of this. So she met uh -huh. And she would sit in class while we were doing other things and sew it. And it was an absolute replica and gorgeous. But she not only learned about this person, but was able to talk about the concept of survival. Yeah. Like, um, I had a student who literally, you know, the people putting the locks on the bridge. Um, and yeah. She recreated this bridge. She brought water and her brother and they built a pump so that it would flow. So that oh, my she could goodness in the cafeteria, but technically on a bridge with someone you loved. Um, I had some French one students who were interested in existential film. So yeah. all they had was the language of French one. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Hi, my name is, but they, they made this beautiful, dramatic film in the woods, filmed it in black and white, but they were using it. It came together because it was, it was absurdist and uncomfortable, but what they did was mm -hmm. Those elements of existential film um, that mattered. I had a girl build a funeral pyre of Joan of Arc, dress her oh Joan of Arc, and <laughs> under a platform, and the fan would blow orange pieces of paper, and then she would uh, read um, the whatever they said as they killed Joan of Arc. Yeah. I have a, a wow. functional guillotine once. Uh, oh my goodness! A functional one. Yes, uh, it was a miniature one. Uh, yeah. This girl literally went to various stores and um, haggled prices for like the cheap dolls. Yeah. Like, I'll give you $10. Can you give me 20 of these? Surely there's a tag card off. And she got them to do it. So she was decapitating these dolls. Um, oh, no. <laughs> song. I have one boy write. Um, it was right after the Bataclan attack, which killed, I think, um, a lot of people, maybe yeah. close to 100. Maybe they were just harmed. But he right. learned to play the guitar just so that he could write this, sing this song that he had written. Um, and I will get emotional if I think too much about it, but it was a man singing about trying to find his wife, who he knew wasn't oh. there anymore, but singing about all these places he would go. And he, he has the the male voice going to those places that people who died actually lived. Right. Um, it was so touching that um, I shared it with a friend who teaches um, English in France, and he actually yeah. had to play his school to share the song. Oh um, so I think that that's what they would talk about. Um, yeah. And what's beautiful about it is I did nothing. I just told them they could do it. 
I saw a vision of what they could be and right. let them believe it themselves. I extended right. that. And that's, that's, that is much harder work. I know you know that work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, it, to this day, um, when I feel like I can't do something, I think about some of those things that my students were able to do, yeah. um, never having touched these things before. Um, yeah. Jane, oh, I can't say name. Jamie, I have a kid named Jamie. Um, uh-huh. First year teaching, I did this a very small scale version of this. Yes, yeah. so, had, had a rough life. Uh, used to walk to school every day, and I, there were multiple times I passed him in the rain. Um, and officially, we weren't supposed to pick up kids, but teachers do what teachers have to do uh, when yeah. you're walking an extra mile in the rain. Um, so anyway, Jamie um, had no. He was like, I don't have. He was not good at French. <laughs> But he was like, uh, I don't I don't know what skills, I don't have any skills. I'm like, we don't have to have skills. That's why we learn things. You're not supposed to come. Yeah. So um, I talk about all kinds of things in France that inspired me. And painting is one of the things that he was like, I've never painted anything. I'm like, great, you're going to paint something. So we flip through a book. He finds um, impression to start. Sure. And he loves it. He's like, I've never seen yeah. it. Really impressed by it. So I give him a canvas, give him some paint, and the boy was like a secret genius with art. Oh, my goodness. Um, he comes in with this painting, and he was shaking when he showed it to his classmates because he had so shot the, the, the vision of himself that he had versus the vision of what was was so great. Right, uh, right, sure. So he shows us this painting of there's a fire, and there's the side of a barn in perspective, um, and he's, he's talking about what Impressionists do. And he says they, they tend to find simple places and find the beauty in those simple places. Yeah. I don't know any beautiful places. But oh. when my mom and dad fight, I like to just go burn stuff behind the bar. And I like the feeling of seeing something disappear and knowing that I can make it happen. Um, so that's what he decided to paint. Wow. This kid in Easter, Kentucky, bridged the gap between his life experience and the experience right. of artists in France from hundreds of years ago. Um, right him apply it that's yeah. that's that's the big scale version of what we try to do every day right it is it is and you know and what incredible belief they the students must know you have in them right in order to do this because they're all taking risks they're all trying new things you know um and you know when you talk about this i can hear that None of it's for a grade. Like you don't, you don't, you don't recreate a dress for a grade, right? Like you do that for some beautiful kind of like intrinsic reason. And, you know, that's got to be part of the lesson, right? Absolutely. Um, the, the hidden curriculum was my curriculum, uh, is my curriculum. And everything I've ever done in class it, it, it's trying to get them to see themselves as something bigger than what they thought they were when they walked in, right? Um, and I think the moment you put a grade on something, the moment you, even though I'm not again, I don't think it's grading, but it, there's there's a cheapening because there's 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 a, a consensus to this is what you should be doing, and I don't like the limit grades limit, um, so. Yeah, um, and it, it takes something on their part to really believe, right. um, and, th- and that, that's reciprocal, right? I really have to believe it 
for them for them to do it. I agree. I agree. So ultimately, what do you think they learned from this? What did they learn about themselves or what did they learn about France or what did they learn about? Yeah. What did they, what did they learn? You know, um, I'm speaking in a couple of weeks at the um, Kentucky World Language Association. And one of the things I want to talk about is identity. Uh, and we use the word a lot, I think now as a shorthand for qualifiers, black, white, gay, straight. Um, but it's really about how you see yourself in relation to the entire world, I think, to whatever is in front of you. Um, and something I, I imagine is what school does to us and how we can undo what school does to us. So if you have a three-year-old, I speak English, I speak French, I speak whatever. If a three-year-old is in front of me and the three-year-old is thirsty and the three-year-old only speaks English and I have water, right, and I say to the three-year-old, I walk the kid's going to take the water and drink it. And if I say the little, because that kid believes that I'm here to help and that they can understand. It doesn't matter that they don't. They do actually in a much deeper way. Um, but if you have a high school student who is dying of thirst and you hold water and say agua, they will freeze because they've already learned to believe that they're not going to understand. They've already learned to believe that you might have some ulterior motive that you're not going to give them what they want. Um, so my goal is that, is to turn them back into that three-year-old. So what I hope they walked out of my class believing is that if someone offers, they should take, and that if someone, if something exists, they can understand it. That's um, so beautiful. That's so beautiful. What did, what did, what did this project teach you about teaching and learning? I don't know. We say fake it till you make it, but I never faked it. I never didn't believe but once I saw, I guess, evidence of my faith, yeah. right? Um, right. It's, it's looking at Christ's wounds in a way. Um, yeah. Once I saw they can do this, um, it then shifted everything, right? So now right. I don't care what you are when you walk into my class. If you want to write academic writing, you can do it at a graduate. Why not? Um, and some of the things that I was doing near the end, uh, especially in my college classes, is I would literally say, okay, we're going to take off the limit. We're going to throw yep. that away. And I'm going to push, not even push, I'm going to uncover. I'm going to take away those ceilings to see what you can do. So I had, we do come, uh, the, the university does these random samplings of grades. So my high school students in Eastern Kentucky, in a more rural place with less resource, fewer resources, were outperforming the on-campus students in class by like 20%. My, the last French student I had who clept when I, I actually drove into the, like the clep test, he clept at a graduate French level. Which oh my goodness. There was nothing he could learn. His <laughs> 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 degree was French, but he had literally already learned all of it. Um, because again, I didn't rein anything in. I didn't say, here's where I want you to be. I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I've almost never given a multiple choice test unless it's required. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, because it's those open-ended things that really get, and we don't yeah. like it. I think the system works under the assumption that the teacher isn't working. And so the system creates tools that don't serve the student except by seeing if the teacher's working. And we should right. be seeing if the teacher's working, right? But when it sets a cap, right, yeah. on what 
work the teacher is going to do, then there's a problem. So yep. I always try to create scenarios that really get them to push yeah. and, then, then, and then dance and sing and smile because it takes energy to keep that up. It does. It does. It does. And, you know, and, and once they show up in those ways, like the energy is just so reciprocal. It's so, it's so wonderful. I had a great lesson to know that one student can totally shift. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I had a student, we call him Bobby, uh, star quarterback, took French class, only French, only, it's very rare. We usually get the artists and the emo kids. Yeah. Um, but he was in the room and he was, he would have so, and he was a senior and a classical sophomores, but he would laugh so much. Um, and whatever goofy thing I was doing, he would do it. And it, uh-huh. it was the single happiest year of teaching I've ever had. And I reached uh-huh. out to him years later, um, because this was also the hardest year I had, um, in terms of other things, um, and said, you have no idea what it meant to me. Um, and he told me, um, my uncle had actually, um, committed suicide a year before I took your class. Um, he was gay and had a very similar, um, way about him to you and that he was always trying to make people laugh and he was all, and he said, I was so worried about you. Um, but I wanted to make sure you knew how much I was enjoying class. Um, what I learned from him is if we worry about people and give them something, even if it's not necessarily genuine, um, what is genuine is the care, right? Um, right. Absolutely. That, that's pervasive as well. And you have to right. show that care. You have to actually care and not about the grade. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, I am going to take away um, this model of make, learn, and share, how important that is. I mean, it's it's simple and profound at the same time. I, I think about that in, in, you know, so many different capacities. And I love what you said, um, the hidden curriculum is my curriculum. I think that's, that's so beautiful. So Willie Edward Taylor Carver Jr. from Kentucky, thank you so much for for um, sharing your lesson and sharing your insight and your wisdom um, with all of us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me relive some of the joyous moments of teaching and remind me why I've got to do some of this again. Thank you for listening to the latest series of Voices from the Classroom, the State Teacher of the Year podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Please share these lessons on social media with the hashtag NTOY22. That's hashtag N-T-O-Y-2-2. You can also catch up on the last two seasons on our website at ntoy.ccsso.org. While you're there, you can also learn more about and find ways to support all of our efforts to elevate teacher voice through the National Teacher of the Year program. Until next time.